Mes McConnell is a church planter in Scotland, and he wrote this. He said, In April we had our annual church meeting, and the treasurer stood up and told us that at current levels of giving, we were 12,000 lira down. That's about $15,000. We had some massive bills come in that year. We had also, now watch, we had also sent a lot of people from our church to plant churches elsewhere. The next day, doesn't always happen the next day, but the next day, a pastor of another church, he says, rang me, called me, called me and said, by the way, our church has made an offering to you of 12,000 lira. He didn't know anything about the deficit. I told him that's exactly the amount of our shortfall. We both laughed and praised the Lord. But then, he says, things like that happen all the time. God always supports His church to accomplish His mission. He does. He provides, now watch, often through storms. Why did they have to go through that shortfall to see... You see, if they hadn't have gone through the storm of that shortfall, they would not have been amazed by God's provision. Storms are good for us. Storms accomplish God's will. He takes us where He wants us to go and accomplishes what He wants to accomplish through our storms. And that's what we see here in the book of Acts. It was time for Paul to go to Rome. He had appealed to Caesar, and so they have now put him on a ship and decided to go to Rome, and it could have been, you know, smooth sailing all the way to Rome, but no, that's not God's purpose. And so the storm has happened. They've been shipwrecked. They've landed on an island. Think about it. They, they have, everything's lost. They have nothing but the clothes on their back. Now they're on Malta. After this storm, and the gospel is going to what man would might have considered an unintended location, but God had this in mind all along. And what we see, one of the things I'm impressed with with Paul as we look into this text is he is, he is in change, but he's still active on mission. He's not sitting around as a big shot expecting other people to serve and take care of him. He's participating. And we'll see as we look at these first ten verses, the main thing I want us to go away with is that God always provides everything we need to accomplish His will. Notice I did not say God always provides everything we want. And praise God, we would get in so much trouble. We'd be so spoiled. God always provides everything we need to accomplish His will. And His primary will is that His gospel goes to the ends of the earth. You want to be part of something bigger than you. You want to be where God is. You want to be working where He's working. Mission is where He's working. That's a big word. It's big picture. It's all of life. But in, in the context of that mission are all of these storms of life that are doing so many things in us and through us that we can't comprehend. God always provides everything we need to accomplish His will. And His will is that His gospel goes to the ends of the earth. Look first, at God provided for Paul. He, he, he provided for Paul, and even those around Paul. He provided for Paul to accomplish His will. Look back in verses 1 and 2. After we were brought safely through, and I've already said that was God bringing them safely through. 
God was superintended the storm. He guided the ship. He protected the ship from the Sartis. He took them in a, in, a, in a direction that would have been, it's close to the way they would have gone, but it, this lands them in a safe harbor. No more ship, it's destroyed. But it lands them in a safe place in Malta where God intended the gospel to go. Now watch what happens. After we were brought safely through, we learned that the name of the place was called, or the island was called Malta, which I said means refuge. And the native people showed us unusual kindness, for they, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all because it had begun to rain and was cold. So the native people, the people of the island, called in Greek barbarians, but not because they were particularly, you know, unsophisticated. It's just that they didn't speak Greek. They were not part of the Greek culture. I'm sure there were polished people there who did. But in general, these people did not. They're common folks. And they're kindling a fire not to cook these people who have landed on their island, <laughs> but to provide for them. I mean, you think about it. You, you, you're skidding up on a beach. You've been part of a shipwreck, and suddenly you see all these people. You don't know what they're coming to do. But see, God's in control, and He's caring for them and providing for their needs. And He says, look at that. It says, they showed us not just kindness, but unusual kindness. The people of Malta come out and take care of this group of people that they don't know who they are. And listen, watch this too. They know there's no hope of them receiving anything back from these people because all of that went down in the sea. All the, I mean, you see people skidding up on boards on the beach. You know, they pretty much don't have much to offer you. So they're not giving to get. But they show unusual kindness and they kindled a fire. Now, there's a focus on one fire and it could be that they made this big, huge fire. But we know that there were 276 people on that ship. So probably we have a number of fires, right? And that this is the one we're focused on. Don't know. Not told. But, but it, 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 the point is the people are taking care of their needs. They, they, they're, they're warming them with fire. They're, it says they welcomed us all. And they're taking care of us because it is, it is raining and it's cold. They've come through a storm. They've come out of the water. It's cold. It's raining. And these people are caring for their needs. When we get to verse 7, you know, in the text, you see Publius who, it says, received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. For three days. And then we saw in verse 10, when it's time for them to leave, it says, they also greatly honored us. And when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. You know, if you're going to sail in those days, you better pack a lunch, proverbially speaking. You, you have to take what you're going to need with you. Remember, Poland, they landed here. They didn't have anything. So these people have received them. They have cared for them, fed them, probably clothed them. And they've even packed all the lunches they'll need for their journey to Rome. It's sad, isn't it? It's convicting to me, but it is sad that often common folks are so much more hospitable than even Christians. That's especially true. Go out into the country. Country folks are usually much more hospitable than, generally speaking, than those in the city. But see, God, this is an example for us and, and, it, and it brings conviction to us because you see people who don't even know Christ so hospitable. 
so caring, so loving. And we need to remember that God commands us to be hospitable. It's, I mean, hospitality is having people over for dinner, okay? But it's so much more than that. So much more than that. Remember, these, pe- this is not, these are not these people's friends who they are just going to have fun with. They don't know Paul and his companions. See, hospitality, hospitality, that's not a mix of hospitality and hostility. We don't get to mix those. Hospitality is receiving and treating guests and strangers in a warm, friendly, and generous way. It literally means love of strangers. Love of strangers. Needy strangers. During his public, think about this, during his public ministry, Jesus and the disciples depended entirely on people's hospitality. Because they were walking the dusty roads of Palestine doing ministry. They depended entirely on others to minister to them as they travel from town to town. Jesus even told them when sending them out, don't take a money bag, you know. The, the, you know, the, the labor is worthy of his wages. Wherever you go, find the house that's worthy and stay there and proclaim peace to that house. Love of stranger, love of brother, love of neighbor in need is expressed by providing for those needs. Hospitality is just love in action, right? And we're commanded to love our neighbor. And these people, even though they don't know Christ, they're created in the image of God. They have that in their hearts and the law written on their hearts and they are loving neighbor. Not perfectly, they don't deserve salvation, but it's really cool what you see in these people who just run out and take care of 276 people that they don't know, they can never get anything from. James tells us that hospitality is one of the evidences of a true faith. Faith without works is dead. We're not justified by what we do. But the evidence of a living faith, that's what James is talking about. One of the evidences is hospitality. And it is in the context of brother and sister in James. Look at, look at this. If a brother and sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and be filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? Faith without works is dead is how he follows that up. Hospitality is not just speaking. Now listen, we, we need to be hospitable with how we talk how we love and care for and cherish and nurture each other with our lips. But when a brother and sister is in need and we have the ability to help with that need, you know, faith goes farther than be warm and be filled. And there's some mystery to hospitality. And I could go, this is not a whole message about hospitality, but I was impressed by what I saw in these people. But look at this from Hebrews 13 too. Do not neglect to so, show to show hospitality to strangers. Not just brothers and sisters, but strangers. Be wise about that. Right? But hospitality to strangers. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Or apostles. People don't know what an apostle is when he skids up on the beach. 
But imagine that. Being kind and hospitable and caring for someone could mean and could have meaned in some of your lives that you have provided hospitality to even an angel. I don't know. I don't want to spook you this morning, but, but I mean, that's what it says. God worked through the people of Malta so that Paul and his companions were shown unusual kindness. They were provided for, cared for. And listen, even though those people in Malta didn't expect that they would get anything from this group of people, what they got was the most important thing because the gospel went out. And church history traces the gospel on Malta back to this shipwreck and to Paul being there. And the gospel, see that? So although it's not mentioned in this text, I mean, all the way through Acts, what is Paul's habit whenever he's with somebody new? He's showing them that Jesus is the Christ and salvation is in him. And he did that on Malta as well. So these people did receive something very important back. The grace of God in his son, Jesus Christ. They received the gospel. Even in the midst of a shipwreck, Paul and those who know Jesus are keeping the main thing, the main thing. Well, secondly, look, Paul is protected. God protected Paul to accomplish his will. So if you look in verse 3, when Paul had gathered, gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire. Now, that's one, of, that's one of the things I said that impresses me. This is an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a big shot, spiritually speaking. He's not sitting back letting other people build the fire. He's working and serving and being a servant to the people around him. He was gathering sticks. He was helping build the fire. Just like Jesus. What did Jesus say? He came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Now watch this. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. You've had days like that, right? This is right on the heels of a shipwreck. Wet, cold, not knowing what's going on. And on the heels of a shipwreck, bang, a snake. And not just any snake, a poisonous snake. And yes, they were on Malta at that time. Whole silly discussion. I mean, some people are so silly, they say maybe it didn't bite him. It just hung on his finger. Unbelief has to work really hard, doesn't it? A viper latched onto his finger. Like, great. Really? Well, come on, we have those days, right? No evidence that Paul had that reaction. But he says, Paul was gathering sticks. The viper came out and fastened on his hands. And what happened? This is a poisonous snake. This is a deadly snake. The people know they're snakes. Okay? And look what they say. Somebody get a first aid kit. Look what these people say. Now, they're sweet people and they're taking care of them, but they are idolaters at this point. And he says, when the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, now watch. Watch this quick snap judgment. Part of the culture. We get it. No doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea. Now listen, they know prisoners are on board. Now some of this, you know, okay. 
Justice has not allowed him to live. Now you might see in your translation that justice is capitalized there. So this is not just a vague idea of justice. This is actually a goddess, a Greek goddess, daughter of Zeus, the goddess of justice. So see, they're saying, they're, they're interpreting things through the grid of their thinking and, and religion and worship, and they're saying, ha, he made it through the sea, but he's a murderer. And so that's why the snake bit him, and he's going to die. Notice idolatry's false judgment there. You have to work hard to get this out of your head, don't you? Listen to what I say. Bad things happen to bad people and good things happen to good people. If you live with that idea, you are going to be one miserable cuss. It's a worldwide assumption. It's why people say silly things like bad. Why do bad things happen to good people? Now I know generally, and generally speaking, the Bible even uses good this way sometimes. That they are good people, people who are caring, people, even like these people in Malta who, who, who are caring. But in, one re, in, one, in, in a redemptive way, and we'll talk about that in a minute, there are no good people. There are no people who are perfect, who've kept the law and thought, word and deed, who deserve good from God. We all deserve bad from God. But see, idolatry is false judgment, and a lot of the world's false judgment, and even Job's counselor's false judgment, is that bad things happen to bad people. Sin brings problems, and if you've got problems, you must be sinning. Because God treats good people. Read Psalm 74. I don't have time. Why do hard things happen to people who, around the world, who, at least externally speaking, we would think these are good folks, right? These are caring folks. Well, especially, why do, why do hard things happen to Christians? Because if you think, now I'm a Christian, nothing bad's ever going to happen to me, we need to talk. In fact, just listen to Jesus. In this world, you will have trouble. Not you might. They hate me, they're going to hate you. They persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. Hard times, struggle is part of living. Storms are part of life. And you can't get around that. And there's a reason for it. There are a lot of reasons for it. God's with us and for us and He's shaping us through the storm. He's working through us to shine light on others through our storms. We see that here. He's pointing toward the judgment which is to come so that we will take heed and be ready for that. Matthew Henry said this way, he says, Though some are made examples in this world to prove that there is a God, yet many are left unpunished to prove that there is a judgment to come. All things are not made right in the here and now. I mean, everybody's favorite whipping boy, Hitler. Think about that. If this is all there is, he got away with it. Persecuted, killed, murdered millions of people. And then when things started going bad, went out his own way. Bang. Escaped the world's judgment and thinking there was no judgment beyond that. 
I got news for you. Proven by the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. It had been appointed to man to die once. Okay, reincarnation's out. Therefore, karma's out. All this other false religion is out. Been appointed for man to die once, and then comes the judgment. And the reason all accounts are not settled now are because they will be then. But look what they say about Paul. They say he's a murderer. Now, watch this. He was. And in fact, he was such a murderer that he was murdering the church. He was seeking to exterminate Christ's church. And Christ had mercy on him and arrested him on the road to Damascus, knocked him off his high mule, not horse, saved his soul, made him an apostle and a witness to the resurrection. What do I, why am I saying that? Paul had an identity that might have matched this, but his identity is not that anymore. Because in Christ, our identity has been changed. How? Why? Because Christ has paid the penalty for our sins. And His righteousness has been credited to, to us. We are now part of the new creation. And we are new in Him. So that Paul's identity now is Christian, forgiven, empowered, apostle. Follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. What was your past? What sins have you committed that might otherwise define you? Christ has dealt with that. In Christ, you are a new creature. You're a child of God. In Christ, you are a saint. Listen, you don't have to be, have a particular or special life and have some miracles happen that you, you have done to be a saint. If you are a Christian, you're a saint. That's what the New Testament says. How in the world? He came to save sinners. He came to cleanse sinners. He came to renew sinners. He came to make us new. And even though Paul, even at the end of his life, would testify to being the chief of sinners, he was a saint. Read Romans 1. Read the first part of a lot of epistles. You'll see. God's people are called saints in Christ Jesus. He is an apostle. And that's exactly what's being proved here. And we'll talk about this a little bit more. But look what happened. Imagine this. Think about some of the most deadly snakes you can think about and how quick their bite takes effect where they bite you and the swelling and, all of, and then all of the things that happen. These people weren't wrong. They knew what kind of snake it was and they knew what generally what happened to people who were snake bit. It says in verse 5, He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. It's bit. It's hanging on. The fangs are hooked in. And he shakes it off into the fire. I think Cindy would probably say that's where all snakes need to go. Cindy has no distinction between poisonous and non-poisonous. Kind of like me with spiders. They're just all evil. They need to go. Good spider, dead spider. I know that's not true. I know some spiders are good. Other, in other places. <laughs> Don't be throwing spiders on me. Um, and snakes. I mean, and in general, people just are queasy about snakes. Snakes belong in the fire. There are good snakes to have around. King snakes and rat snakes and stuff like that. But, and see? She's like, nope. 
So anyway, he shook the snake off into the fire and nothing happened to him. Now, watch this. Now, he's not been there long enough to have taught the gospel enough for the, their mindset to be changed about God and his ways and, and about the gospel. But look how fickle people are. Look how people jump pole to pole, right? They've said he was a murderer and our God, justice is going to get him and it didn't happen. So it says, but when they, when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, these people are staring at him. They are watching him. They are looking for swelling and all of these things to start happening. And nothing happened. So they said, wow, we must have been wrong about that snake. Or wow, that's cool. Glad nothing happened to him. Look what they did. They changed their minds and said that he was a god. You can laugh there. But that's how silly people are. That's how silly we can be if we're not careful. When we're judging everything by circumstance and what we see. No, he's not a god. He's just a man. But he is an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ who comes with the gospel, testifying to the gospel. So God is at work in him. All of his days were written down before there was one. Read Psalm 139, verse 16, I think. It's true for you too. God was testifying to the truth of the gospel Paul would preach. And Paul, see, another thing that might have been in Paul's mind, and God's already said he's going to Rome. So this snake is just a minor inconvenience. We can move on. But look at this. Hebrews 2, 3, and 4 says this. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord. That's the Lord Jesus. And it was attested to us by those who heard the apostle. Now watch what God was doing. While God also bore witness. That is a past tense, by the way. Well, God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to what people wanted. According to His will. God was testifying. God is bearing witness. And we'll see a little more of that in a second. God is showing them that something different's going on here. This is not the average situation and this is not your average bear here. He, I'm at work in Him. This is my sent one with a message for you. See, Paul is not a God. He's simply a man being used by God. So God has provided for him. He's, he's in a, through a storm that he would have never chosen. He's taken him to Malta. He's providing for him in Malta. And he's going to show up and show out and the, the gospel is going to go forth. Thirdly, God empowered Paul to accomplish his will. Not only did he protect him from the snake bite, but he empowered him to accomplish his will. In verse, I'll, I'll read in verse 7 through 9 again. But it says, Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius, or Publius, however you want to say that, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. So he's brought them in. He, Luke, Luke is there. Paul is there. and Others are there. He brought us in and entertained us for three days. Not the whole 276 people. They're probably out in other homes, a lot of them. But... Paul and his compatriots are being entertained by the lead man of the island. And it says this, It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery. 
especially that last word, it's not a pretty word, is it? There was an actual fever called Malta fever. And it came from a, a, a virus that they would get through goat's milk. And it would last a long time and it would come and go. And it would, you know, wear people out. That's what his father has. And if, you, if you've gone, like, and, and I never have, but I've had things that are similar. Um, if you've gone to a foreign country and drank bad water and or go to Mexico and get what people call Montezuma's Revenge, I mean, that's what we're talking about. This man is sick. This man is probably dehydrated. He's struggling with this. And it says, now watch this. And Paul visited him and prayed and putting his hands on him, healed him. Paul, God is using Paul. He's empowered Paul as an apostle to perform signs of an apostle, one of which was healing. And Paul lays his hands on him and heals him. Much reminds me of Peter's mother-in-law. Is that right? Who was sick and Jesus healed her from the fever and she got up and served him. But it, he's laying sick and Paul goes in and this is the big shot of the island and he goes in and he prays and lays hands on this man and heals him. When we know God is working through, it's not Paul in his power, God is working through his apostle to accomplish this healing. Remember the verse in Hebrews 2, 3, and 4 that God is bearing witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and to those and gifts according to the Spirit. He's bearing witness to those who had heard Jesus and who are giving us Jesus' gospel. Healing was one of the early signs used to authenticate God's gospel and His messengers. Jesus, His apostles, Hebrews 2, 3, and 4 we just read. Did you know that in the whole history of the world there have only been three eras, three eras in the whole history of the world where widespread miracles were taking place. Only three eras. One is Moses and Joshua. The next is Elijah and Elisha. And then you have Jesus and His apostles. And that's the only three times in history that we see widespread miracles. Right? And you see apostles on the ground performing what is called the signs of an apostle. If you want to read that, 2 Corinthians 12, 12 talks about it. Now, if it was a sign of an apostle, that means not just everybody's walking around doing it. The apostles and their companions were especially gifted. So this was a sign of an apostle. He, God's confirming his messenger. He's getting the people's attention. When he was healing the people in Malta, it was God working through Paul. Does God still heal? Yes. He does still heal. Is it God's will to heal everyone now? No, and it never was. I mean, Jesus, even at the pool of Bethesda, He picked one guy out of a multitude. God's sovereign over it. Are there apostles and miracle workers walking around now? No. The apostles were part of the foundation of the church. Read Ephesians. I'm not saying no miracles happen. They do. God still heals. And, and in His providence, sometimes through prayer, He will heal someone in a way that is, you can't explain. 
mean, if you know who Jeff Durbin was and the baby they adopted, I think they named him Calvin, he was supposed to come out with spina bifida and tests done even up to a few days before he was born. The doctors were standing there waiting to whisk him away because he had a bad case of spina bifida. When this baby was born, he was whole with nothing wrong with him. So yes, God still heals and God still does that in answer to prayer. But, but Benny Hinn is a charlatan. Kenneth Copeland is a charlatan. All those word faith people are charlatans. They're wolves. They're false apostles. And they even claim to be apostles sometimes. If you ever see anybody claiming to have miraculous power and they lengthen a leg, that's an old carnival trick. That's, that's, those people are unworthy. Listen, if your pastor claimed an end to the coronavirus in April and took authority over it and bound it, you need a new pastor. Sorry, and I'm not pointing, you don't need me necessarily, but you need somebody who's going to speak truth to you and teach you the Word of God and not act like heaven is already here. Whew, I feel my blood pressure going up. I'll stop. The gospel was permanently validated through the lives of the apostles and through the life of Jesus and the miraculous signs that took place then. If there are any miracle workers walking around out there today, I want them to go down to the hospital with me. And quit begging for money on TV. Start doing some good. I'm sorry, if that offends you, and people I call out offend you, I have, a, I have a responsibility to call out by name false wolves and, and take that seriously. I don't call them all out, but, you know, you heard the camp. If it's word of faith mess, run. It's not being faithful with the word of God. But God does still heal. But there are, He's not doing it this way through special miracle workers who are His apostles. He does still work powerfully in and through our lives. He does things a lot of times we can't explain. But here he's validating the gospel. Remember that verse from Hebrews. Go read it again. I won't do it. But first part of chapter 2. Read that section and see what God was doing through the apostles here. But see, his power is just as... One of the greatest miracles that could ever happen would be take a sinner from death in sin to life in Christ. Resurrection. Faith and repentance. His gospel is the power of God because the Spirit is working through that message to bring people from death to life and faith in Jesus. He's still granting the same great power in witness in His church. God says that when the Spirit comes upon you, you will be my witnesses. I mean, notice even then in Malta, there were no other showy signs and no mention of some of the other gifts. God was at work getting the gospel out. What is the gospel, by the way? It's Jesus. You want one word? It's Jesus. <laughs> Christ died for our sins according to the gospel. You might have wondered, what were we, if you're not a Christian, you might have wondered, why are you singing about being washed in the blood? Gross. Well, yeah, if we were just taking a bath in blood, that would be pretty gross, wouldn't it? No, life is in the blood. All those sacrifices in the Old Testament that pointed to Christ, they didn't take away sin, but they pointed to Christ. They covered and pointed. And you see all through the Old Testament, blood being sprinkled on the people and things like that. That's just symbolic of the sacrifice being applied to them. And so the blood is, is a symbol for the whole, Christ's whole sacrifice. And He died to pay the penalty for our sins. The Scripture says the wages of sin is death. And that's not just physical, it's spiritual as well. It's separation from God. It's hell and condemnation after this life. 
See, Christ took the wrath of God upon Himself on the cross and because He was God and man, He satisfied justice. He drank that cup dry so that God now can look, extend salvation to us as a free gift and forgive us and grant us a righteous standing and adopt us into His family. Not because we did good works, but because Christ did. We're accepted as a free gift. If you'll have salvation, it'll be through your faith in Jesus, not by what you do. Our works are fruit of that faith. But they're not the grounds of us being accepted. You have to be humble enough to receive salvation as a free gift because Christ has earned it for you. So Scripture says Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried. He really died. And He rose the third day. And that's the most provable fact in history if you don't use a double standard. Christ rose, proving it's all true. He ascended. He's reigning now. Not to make you happy and comfortable necessarily, but get His gospel to the ends of the earth. And He will take you through trials and accomplish a lot through that. But really, life is about Him and His Word going to the ends of the earth. Christ died. He was buried. He was raised. For God so loved the world that He kids that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Smallest child hearing me can understand me when I say, Christ died for our sins and He was raised from the grave. And if you trust in Him, you will be saved. Believe in Him. Trust in Him. Ask your parents what that means if you don't know. But the gospel, the Holy Spirit, the gospel brings people from death to life. And I'm asking you this morning, is your hope in Jesus and Jesus alone? Do you think Jesus came to make up what you couldn't do, that you do your best and He does the rest? Is some of it's based on how you... Mm -mm. It's all Jesus. Forgiveness comes. Cleansing comes. Salvation. Righteousness comes through faith. By grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. This gospel came to Malta through a shipwreck, through a snake bite, and through many healings, and it never left. And it's come all the way to Swansboro. Let me give you a few takeaways as I wrap it up here. Just one, real quick. Whatever your calling is, your calling is just as important as mine. Whatever God has gifted you to and created you for and called you to, that's important work. Whatever your calling is. Now listen to me. This won't fill a big stadium. Expect it to be hard. God's not going to make your life easy. Whatever your calling is, expect it to be hard. Why do we think if we find our calling, it's going to be easy? In this world, you will have trouble. Even the Apostle Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, we, just in this little snippet, we've seen him go through shipwreck and hunger and snake bites and... Whatever your calling is, expect it to be hard. That's not pessimism, that's truth. Okay? But expect it to be blessed. Expect it to be, yes, blessing in it and Christ in it and He'll use you. Second thing I want to mention is to just not forget their, the example of these lost people's hospitality. We should be convicted by their example of hospitality. We see unconverted people in a place called refuge 
extending this unusual kindness to people they didn't know. We're good at being hospitable to one another, at least the part of the one another that we like. Be, here's one way we can apply it as a church. Be intentionally hospitable to people in Grace Church that you do not know. Don't just hang out with the same people all the time. And don't just hang out with the people you're comfortable with. Bring in people out to lunch, into your home, over to the beach, whatever it is you involve them in. People you don't know that are Christ's children. Thirdly, we should be comforted that all of our storms are profitable because of our God. There is not one maverick molecule. He is sovereign over every storm. It is intentional on His part, and He is producing what He desires to produce through it. Listen to me. Believe this. God takes us to places we never thought we would go, and He does through us what we never dreamed He could do. I'm telling you, I never dreamed I would be standing here. And people around me who knew me before Christ would have bet all the money they had that I wouldn't be standing right here. Christ came to save sinners. God takes us to places we never thought we would go and He does through us what we never dreamed He would do. Be comforted. Your God is in control. Listen, thirdly, Please abandon all notions of bad things happen to bad people and good things happen to good people. Please remove that from your thinking. Read Psalm 74. Read the Bible. Right? Look to Jesus. Man of sorrows. What a name. See, there are, read Romans 3. There are no good people. None righteous, no not one, none good. None who have completely and fully kept God's law and thought, word, and deed and deserve only blessing from Him. There's no people like that. Jesus was the only one. There's only been one good person that bad things happened to and He did that intentionally so He could save us. Hard things happen to Christians and it's not abnormal when they do. God's at work in your storm. You know what he calls us? More than conquerors. More than conquerors. What is the conquering? It's our faith. That's a gift from him. If you trust Jesus, even if you're weak in your faith and life's a wreck, you're a conqueror. Because remember, your identity is Christ, not what you are and were. Fourthly, we should be bold with the gospel and trust that God is in control and will provide everything we need to do all that he wants us to do. He's lovingly commanded us to witness the mission is not over. And last, just trust God to provide everything you need to live for Him. He will. He does. Not everything you want. No matter what Joel Osteen says, that's another one you shouldn't listen to. I got in trouble, lady, sitting right over there one day. I said something about Joel Osteen, and she, she, she wanted to talk to me afterwards. She said, I don't like what you said. I ain't never coming back. I said, I'm sorry, but he's a false prophet. He never talks about sin and judgment, and he never preaches the gospel, really. He's just about blowing sunshine. No wonder people want to go. Tickling ears, right? People, he, it'll, it'll fill stadiums. The gospel must go. 
to every tribe, tongue, nation, and language. I'll end with another testimony of God's grace and provision. You're in it. Grace Church. Seven people had no idea what they were doing when they were sitting over in the Best Western. Had no idea where the money was going to come from. And I'm telling you, the testimony I read up front about God had providing exactly what they needed in Scotland, I've seen that over and over and over and over. I mean, the, one of the most recent ones is, you know, coronavirus, all this stuff is going. God has greatly provided for us during that time. But we decided to put a live stream together. And the money we spent to put the live stream together, almost, almost all of it, came right back to us through somebody who doesn't even know Jesus, <laughs> we don't think, in a couple of weeks. I mean, we've had people who don't even come to Grace Church give thousands of dollars and never come here. I, it's God, and, and it's nothing special about us. It's just this is God's work. It's not about me. It's about Jesus, and whoever steps up next, it'll, it's God's work. It'll keep going. But he decided to have a church in Swansboro, and he's provided everything that church needed to be here. And he continues to do that. What an amazing grace. And so much more I could say. But listen, I'll just end with this. Follow Jesus. Leave what is comfortable. Trust in the midst of the storm. And be light and salt for him. Look around. Not just in this room, but in the culture we live in. We have the answer to all of the strife and misery we see all around us. Christ and Him crucified. Trust Him. To live is Christ. Let's pray. Lord, You are glorious. And You are good. And You are sovereign. And You are with us and for us. Yes, You take us through many storms. And yet those storms have to work for us to make us more like Christ. You have put your hand upon us, Lord. We are your people. You call us light and salt. And that's what we are in Christ. Help us to take that seriously and be light and salt for you intentionally on a daily basis. Lord, I thank you for the testimony that we see in the book of Acts and just how we can rest in your control. That no matter what the storm of life that is raging, no matter what the snake bite looks like, you are right there with us and for us and taking us all the way through. Just as they were brought through, we will be brought through safely. And I mean safely into the new heavens and the new earth, into your presence. Lord, one of our storms may take us out of this life, but we know that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And we know you're returning one day. And if we're still alive when that happens, we will be changed. And we will be like you. I know that we have the new heavens and the new earth to look forward to. Help us to have a biblical mindset in this present heavens and present earth. To know that in this world we'll have trouble but to be of good cheer for you have overcome it for us and you are using us to using it to shape us into the image of Christ and even when we don't know it or not aware of it you are using us to glorify your name you you see ahead of time you provide you walk us through so help us to trust you when the shipwreck happens 
Help us to trust you when the snake bites. Help us to trust you in the storms of this life. Lord, if there are any that don't know you, save them. Draw them to faith. Give them eyes to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Those of us who do know you, may we more faithfully adopt what we say every Sunday and to live as Christ as to die as gain. Accomplish all of your purposes. We look to you and trust you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.